Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Two-time breast cancer thriver, Carol Wiley, offers real insight, encouragement, and a few laughs to those facing cancer, illness, or any of life's challenges. Her voice is authentic and sometimes irreverent as she shows us how to lead with faith and gratitude in the face of our toughest battles. And I have to tell you, if you're watching or listening, I had the pleasure of reading Carol's book, Chemo Pissed Me Off, A (laughs) Breast Cancer Roadmap, Navigating with Faith, Gratitude, and a Little Bit of Attitude. And I laughed out loud. So I am so excited to have her. Carol, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Such a privilege to be here. Oh, well, it's our privilege. We're really excited. So take us back to the beginning of um, breast cancer, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Breast cancer. I mean, 10 years ago, it was pre-cancer. It was DCIS. I was was a, a year late from getting that baseline mammogram at 40. So I was at an annual exam, the OBGYN felt a lump that I didn't feel, couldn't feel. I, I knew how to do breast checks and um, asked me to get that mammogram right away. They also wanted an ultrasound. They did all that stuff where they go back in and they want to recheck some stuff. And so you kind of start, mm, that doesn't sound good. Sure enough, it turned out that I had what's considered a precancer, so DCIS, which is stage zero. And it was very widespread throughout the breast and it was hormone receptor positive. So I opted at that point for a mastectomy because I had young kids at that time. And I just was, I mean, it it was such a snap decision that everybody in my world kind of went, I don't know about this. That seems too soon. That seems too harsh. And I did not have a, a doubt in my mind. So, and I even opted for prophylactic mastectomy, for lack of a better word, on the other side, just just for insurance. So what does that mean? And also, what does DCIS stand for, for those who don't know? Okay. So thank you for asking. That's a great question. So DCIS is ductal carcinoma in situ. It means that these precancerous cells are confined to the ducts of your breasts. They haven't gone anywhere else, and they are not, in fact, cancer yet, but could become cancer. And on an, but all over in one breast. Yeah. So wow. th- yeah, it was very widespread. It, the x-ray, they actually showed me the x-ray and it looked like somebody had maybe like dipped their fingers in paint and just kind of splattered them onto, you know, so those white speckles were everywhere throughout my left breast. And then a prophylactic mastectomy, I, I've heard them called different things, but I'm just using that word because basically it's, <laughs> it's elective. And so it was funny because there was a little bit of a question mark, whether insurance would actually pay for it. And I mean, I could go down the rabbit hole of that, but we won't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll just let that one sit there for a minute. And it's like, yep, I am. I'm electing to to remove my breast as opposed to just waiting for the other shoe to drop. But, you know, you can call it cosmetic or prophylactic, whatever, you know, just can we just get rid of it? I mean, from a plastic surgeon standpoint, and I say this in the book is that, well, he can make 
a matching set better than he can make a, a, a plastic boob match one that has nursed, seen gravity and puberty and all of that. <laughs> so it's like, okay, win-win, let's do that then. And so what does that mean exactly? What does prophylactic mean? So describe it the way you did in your book, get a little more detail. Did you have an implant put in? Did oh, you like kind of- It's the beginning of reconstruction. So having that, that unnecessary, that elective, if you will, mastectomy on the right side. Yes. So then um, the reconstruction process begins, which is putting it. in expanders. And it's a, about a year and a half long process. It's about three to four surgeries, depending on how you do it. And then there's a lot of ways to do it, but I, I opted for implants. So. And you made that decision quickly. You said, Absolutely. how were you able to do that? For me personally, the thought of having something in my body that was trying to kill me was just a no brainer. Okay. It, it just, it just was, I, that is the simplest way I can explain it. I don't need it. I've nursed my children. I'm over it. And guess what? The plastic ones don't get cancer. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I just like what you said that it would be really difficult to match, right? Yes. It would be, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So the title of your book, Chemo Pissed Me Off. We'll definitely mention it at the end and we'll put in the show notes. So don't worry if you're listening or watching. But I've never, I say seen, but you know what I mean? I've never seen someone try so hard to get out of chemo. So can you walk <laughs> us through after the mastectomy? Walk, what, what the heck happened well, that you ended up with chemotherapy? I was living my best life, at least, you know, I thought I was, and I was, I was extremely healthy after the double mastectomy reconstruction, knowing that my body had already learned how to make a cancer cell, if you will. So I had upped my exercise game, my eating game, you know, all those things. And eight years later, when the chest wall started showing signs of, you know, just wear and tear, if you will, I started thinking about going in for more fat injections, which is a whole longer story, but it's part of that reconstruction process because to remove your breast tissue would make your chest actually concaved. And right. so they put fat injections into your chest to make a chest wall, if you will. And that starts breaking down over time. So I went to see a plastic surgeon thinking, I, I think I can do this. Not with a little PTSD from a year and a half of surgeries back eight years ago. I started feeling a lot of like pressure in my underarm and I kept thinking it was just scar tissue. And I decided that I needed to really just get my ducks in a row before I undergo any kind of plastic surgery. That little piece of scar tissue turned out to be breast tissue that was left in my axilla after my mastectomies. And it had DCIS that had continued to grow for at that point, nine years and had turned into invasive ductal carcinoma. And Oh my gosh. Yes. And so there's a little bit of a story there where I could really go down the rabbit hole of bitterness and blame. And it was on my mind for a second, but I really just didn't have time for it. And I really kind of attribute my faith to that. Like, like somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this instead. And it became a fight to not get the toxic treatments because I had done everything right nine years ago. And somebody left some breast tissue in my underarm area that grew cancer. 
So it just, I was on a crusade. I really was because that's that surgery to remove that little bit of breast tissue, that tumor, which in fact was surrounded by more DCIS, got rid of all the cancer. They took a lot of lymph nodes. Every single one of them was clear. The cancer was gone. But the pathology came back that my cancer shows markers for high risk. By the way, I don't have any genetic markers. I don't have a family history of breast cancer. Wow. I'm not, you know, the most unhealthy person on the planet. Uh, I just, I don't smoke. I'm a moderate drinker. I mean, I'll, I'll hop on some junk food and sugar with, with the next guy, but I don't hate salad. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an average healthy person. So it just, I, I wasn't the guy. I wasn't, I wasn't the guy to get cancer. It was weird. So it had me looking a lot deeper, had me looking at lifestyle and stress and unhealed hurts. And that's why I got married to that title because I kind of, I kind of discovered an underlying default setting of Roland slightly pissed off most of the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I kind of don't even like to admit that because, you know, here I'm working so hard on all these other things, you know, and I just kind of let all that stuff just slide under the radar. And I think a lifetime of that kind of mindset, even if it's not acknowledged can, can manifest in, in illness sometimes. I don't want to say or even imply that we give ourselves cancer. I just am a girl who wants to know why. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the one walking into the doctor's office asking for a fix-it pill. I want to know why, and I want to make it stop. I don't want to cover it up. Wow. So they take it out again this time. Everything. Mm -hmm. You know it's aggressive. Why did you finally give in to the chemo? And what was their reasoning for the chemo? I should say that first. What's the reasoning? Okay. So the way they describe it is the chemo will take care of any microscopic breast cancer cells that might be floating around in there. That's almost verbatim what they said. I mean, paraphrasing a little bit, but I heard that from every single Western medicine doctor I talked to, and there were a few. I have a lot of opinions about our healthcare and, and why we are, are such a, why we're so committed to these toxic treatments. Um, and by we, I mean them, but I wasn't necessarily prepared to completely ignore medical advice. I would love to see a day where you know, holistic, naturopathic, integrative, and Western medicine all work together. And I mean work together because people say, oh, well, there's places like that. I mean, they're really hard to find. They don't make it easy, you know? They yeah. really, and, and most Western doctors won't even acknowledge their existence. I mean, again, another rabbit hole. There's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> I won't take us down too many rabbit holes. <laughs> so you do chemo though? I did chemo. I did for, for my situation, it was four rounds of chemo and it was, uh, delivered through an IV and it was spaced three weeks apart. So four treatments, three weeks apart. And that's about three months. So what was that like? It was hell. It, and I, 
I understand just from the people that I've talked to and the things that I've read and listened to that I had it easy. I had it easy and there were still days that I felt like I was dying. It's just something I wouldn't wish on anybody. After the chemotherapy, did they recommend radiation or what were the next steps? All the bells and whistles. They wanted oh, me to, they wanted me to have it all. I got the Cadillac of cancer treatment. So I had the chemo, I had the radiation, I had the hormone blocker after the fact. So yes, so I got a little bit of a break after chemo. And then I went into a month of radiation, which is five days a week. So 20, 28 rounds of radiation. So about, about five weeks. And this was, so this is now about two years ago. Actually, I just celebrated one year out of radiation. That was on the 26th of June, one year out of radiation. Wow. I, did, I wouldn't say I celebrated, but I saw it on the calendar and recognized it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the day. <laughs> like, wow, it's been a year. And you mentioned something that you are on now, correct? Yes. So I have to, yeah. the other standard uh, protocol is a hormone blocker for cancers that are hormone receptor positive, meaning that they feed on the hormones in your body. And so then they recommend you taking a hormone blocker, in my case, an aromatase inhibitor that will block hormones from feeding or helping grow cancer in your body. And how long will you be on that? Five to 10 years is their recommendation. I will be cartoon running out that door on the five-year day. <laughs> it wreaks havoc on your body. It's no joke. And what's funny is a lot of the Western doctors won't even acknowledge the that this is a thing. The biggest thing is the, the, the joint aches, the body aches, and in a lot of cases, people develop trigger finger. So I don't know if you're familiar with trigger finger, but essentially your fingers lock up when you close them and they pop open when you try to open them. And I've developed that in both hands. So my, my AOKs don't always work. Um, yeah, it's weird. And I actually was listening to a podcast with some integrative oncologists and it was so funny, but not ha-ha funny, that they were talking about it as a foregone conclusion. Yeah, people develop these things. They develop A, B, C, D, trigger finger, and they were just talking about it like it's understood. I found that quite interesting because I kept saying, okay, I know I'm 50, but and this kind of stuff can start happening with age, but this just came on when I was taking these hormone blockers. I'm like, yeah, but it's such an extreme case. We have a hard time believing that it's solely the hormone blocker. Okay. Um, it causes bone degeneration. So I have to be a lot more proactive about my bone health. And I've started seeing a decline in my lower back, um, my L4 and 5 specifically. So it's just... Gosh, I'm so sorry. Four more years. Can... <laughs> four, <laughs> four more years. <laughs> but yeah, and, and again, you know, this I, I can talk about how awful this is for me, but being in the club that nobody wants to be in, I hear stories that make me unbelievably grateful for my circumstances, truly. What was your 
worst moment? And you decide whether it's the first time, second time. What was your worst moment in all of it, though? It's just such a toss-up. So was it that moment I was laying in bed and, or lying in bed, rather, and didn't think that I could, or would ever, get up again? <laughs> was it when, right before the last treatment, the pandemic hit and my husband wasn't allowed to go upstairs with me? And so I sat there alone. Was it during radiation when my skin was cracking and bleeding and I couldn't wear a shirt because I didn't want to stain anything? Was it losing my hair in the shower <laughs> um, <laughs> that first time? It's a toss-up. The hair was a really big deal for me. And God bless people and their cluelessness. But, <laughs> you know, I remember one friend saying, well, it's going to grow back. You know, you put your hands in your pocket so you don't reach out and just choke them a little bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> why don't, when I lose all of my hair in chunks in my shower, why don't I come to your house right after that and just shave whatever bald spot I have on my head on your head and we do this thing together. And then you talk to me about how it's going to grow back. <laughs> so I did, an, I did an interesting thing though. The, uh, the hospital I received my chemo at, was one of the facilitators of the cold cap. Oh, okay. So the cold cap is a thing that is not largely covered by insurance, but I opted to try it because I don't know why, but losing the hair was a weird thing for me. I think because I didn't actually have cancer. I had to walk around and look like a sick person and feel like a sick person and do all of the sick people treatments, but they told me I didn't have cancer. So it was just really hard for me. So I wanted to just feel like me as much as I could. So I opted to do this thing because this hospital made it so effortless. In other hospitals, it's 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 one more thing that somebody going through cancer just really probably would not take on because it is a hell of a commitment to hair, let me tell you. Um, so talk about that a little bit because I don't think I've interviewed anyone who's had that yet. I know what it is, but tell us a little more about it. Okay, so, so the cold cap, starts before your infusions and lasts hours after your infusion. So you come in and they start, they spray your hair down and they put your little cap on. And I almost wish I had a picture to show you guys. It's funny. <laughs> we, we took a lot of good pictures and laughed about it. They begin the process of cooling your head down, essentially giving you freeze brain, brain freeze. Did I say that right? Yeah, I digress. And once your head gets to the right temperature, they begin your chemo. The idea behind this is keeping the hair follicles cool will keep your hair in place because chemo heats up the hair follicles, causing the hair to fall out. So after chemo, they have to slowly bring, excuse me, slowly bring your hair and your head back down to room temperature. If they didn't do it slowly, it could break off because it's actually freezing your hair. Depending on your course of chemo depends on how long you defrost, if you will. My chemo was the harshest for hair loss, absolute 100% hair loss. So I sat there for three hours afterwards while my head went back to normal. And a, a, day, a, a day of infusions started for me at like 8.30 in the morning and I wouldn't leave there until like five or six at night, depending on how things went. And a successful cold cap experience is keeping about 50% of your hair. 
And I have a lot of hair. I always have. And I thought, okay, so it's just going to look like I have really thin hair for a while. Not so much. Chemo doesn't care which half of your hair it takes. So I lost all of my 50% right here. Right in the top for people who are listening. So yes. right in the top front. So right in the top, right on the crown. And I looked like an 80s rocker that was hanging on to my glory days. <laughs> oh, no. Truthfully. And there are a lot of them. <laughs> so I... Wow. I mean, I was a technically, I was technically an, a success story for the cold cap, but as I say in the book, I'm not going to hold my breath waiting to be their poster child. It was not a good look. I still wore the ball caps. I still looked sick, but underneath my ball cap, I could have a cute little flip if I wanted and, you know, <laughs> try to, try to work that. Like I said, it was a huge commitment to hair. I, I think I'm glad I did it. I do. I think I'm glad I did it. Is your hair back to normal now? I know for some people, the texture of their hair actually changes. Yeah, no, my hair is definitely growing back. I, I kind of had had some fun moments as I talked about growing out the mullet because like I said, I had the long hair in the back and then I had all this short stuff coming in on the crown and on around my face and that kind of thing. And uh, and it, it ironically, the mullet just came back in. So I probably was a little <laughs> more in style than I had ever hoped to be, you know? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> we'll just call it a silver lining. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. for those who, who can't see me, I, I don't look like I have a mullet anymore. So I actually look like yeah. I have a hairstyle that I chose. So, you know, and, and the hair is super, super healthy. So because it's not getting colored, which we all, which, you know, most of us women like to do when we start getting gray hair. And, you know, so it's extremely healthy and it, and it did grow back. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you know my whole story with my sister. I won't go into it right now, but I some of it, yes. Was her, yeah, I was her caregiver, and she shaved her head the night before chemo into four mohawks. She called it her quad hawk. It was hilarious. <laughs> what was so interesting was when she finally started losing hair, she shaved those down, and she just kept kind of changing up her hairstyle, and she never lost um, the hair follicles. Oh. It was so bizarre. Her eyebrows got a little bit thinner. Her eyelashes toward that third or fourth round of chemo started slowly falling out, but they would grow right back. She had very thick hair like you. Interesting. And because she, the hair follicles were, were still there, because her eyebrows were still there, many people, especially on a good day, you know, when her blood cell count was up, you know, especially with the hemoglobin and she looked healthy, on a good day, many people thought she shaved her head. Okay. And so she would get compliments about it. Nice. And it got to a point where I won't, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but got to a point where she just got so irritated by it <laughs> because she really didn't look sort of like the typical, especially for her age, cancer kid. Yeah. And, and she never lost the follicles. Interesting. I kept my eyebrows and my eyelashes the whole time, strangely enough. And then after chemo was all said and done one time, I mean, I think it was a a couple of weeks even later, I forgot to be careful washing my face and they all fell out. Oh no. Yep. <laughs> Wait, the, oh, eyebrows and eyelashes? Yep. Yep. Oh, no. were you exfoliating? Or what are you I mean, doing? I wasn't, I wasn't going overly hard. I don't even know. I was like, what the hell? I came out of the shower like, okay, that's not a good look. What the hell just happened? So yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Weird, That's huh? Wild. But I did. I kept, it was cool that I, I mean, I, it did not go unnoticed. I, I kept the eyebrows and the eyelashes. And then when it was all said and done, damn it, they fell out. So who knows? Maybe they would have fallen out anyway. I feel like I just wasn't being careful and I was drying my face or something and they came out. I don't know. Tell us what was your best moment? Being done. <laughs> just being done. No, I mean, let's talk about this for a second. Again, I talk about how my experience really in light of some of the stories I've heard was a cakewalk. So one day during radiation, I got the gift of perspective because they kept us very separated as we were waiting to go in because of the pandemic. And I was sitting in my little dressing room with my curtain closed, waiting to be called back. And I heard two ladies sitting in the only two waiting room chairs allowed at that moment. And they were talking. One woman was talking about um, her husband having inoperable cancer. I mean, yes, inoperable cancer and that the radiation was peeling his skin off and it was on his nether regions. And, you know, this other woman was talking about how she had already lost her husband to cancer and that her cancer was on her lady parts and went undetected for a year and was now inoperable. And she was having radiation on her lady parts. And so as I sat there being pissed off that I was having these treatments in the first place, I got grateful in the pants. I got pissed in right then and there and just got a warm glass to shut the hell up. That would be one of my highlights, I think. Oh, gosh, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think the gift of perspective is really important. But at the same time, your experience is still your experience. You know, it's it's okay to to have it not be butterflies and roses or whatever. You know? For it's sure. Okay. For sure. What is the one thing you wish you had known at the beginning? The benefit of having all of your doctors in one place. The ben- Talk about that. The benefit of of being in a teaching hospital where it is effortless for them to connect the dots, because I find that when it is effortless for doctors to connect the dots, they will in fact connect the dots. So that's what I wish I had known because I live in a very rural area of California where there are not a lot of doctors. I mean, there aren't even a lot of stores. So traveling to those faraway places 10 years ago, I I just didn't, I had young kids. My life was so busy. And this time around, it was like, nope. And I mean, I was prepared to go to the ends of the earth to find the answers that I wanted. And when everyone was singing the same song, I ended up settling for a doctor that was local, but at a a very renowned teaching hospital, cutting edge all the time, stuff like that. So that's what I wish I'd known. That's great. Yeah, that's a great observation because they don't talk to each other. If you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? Hmm. Oh, boy, I would connect all of the ways that we can be healthy. I could just wave my little wand over it. Every Western medical doctor would know, learn, embrace holistic methods, integrative methods, naturopathic methods, and we would be able to customize our health plans, what works for us. We would have all the options. 
We wouldn't have to, oh my gosh, we just wouldn't have to try so hard to be healthy. Did you do anything during your treatment that would be considered alternative or Eastern medicine? I mean, maybe. They don't let you take vitamins when they are giving you the toxic treatments. They're trying to kill the cells, so they don't want you taking anything that's going to keep them alive. The unfortunate thing is, is that it doesn't just kill the cancer cells. So being able to feed your body good stuff is key. So they wouldn't allow me to take supplements, so I didn't. My supplements are whole food supplements and really good quality, so... I didn't see the difference in actual food and my supplements, but I am really good at following directions. So no supplements, but I made a green drink that was full of all kinds of stuff, you know, turmeric, ginger, you know, every kind of cruciferous vegetable and fruit that I could cram in there and, you know, protein and like, like a good, good protein, a clean protein. I did that. I don't know if that would be considered alternative. I have a, I have an acupressure naturopathic person that I see, specialist that I see that promotes like blood flow in your body for healing. So if, you know, he's kind of in the sports medicine world, I guess. So anytime anybody gets injured in my home, we seek that type of treatment first for the healing versus, you know, taking medication and that kind of stuff. After surgery, he would break up scar tissue for me. Um, Wow. After that's cool. Yeah. After chemo and radiation, he would, you know, do some detoxing acupressure sessions with me, stuff like that, that I think helped get the toxins out of my body, maybe a little quicker. That's really cool. That's yeah, nothing that that's insurance cool. covers that comes out of pocket. So that's the other yeah. hard part. And, and, and back to what you said, if I could change one thing, it would be something that, that would be offered like regular doctors are offered through insurance. Yeah, I hear that answer a lot, and I feel like we're getting there, so. but it's it's definitely not easy, no. and and it, and it's just not readily available. Even if you can afford it, you know, depending on where you live, it's just it's not easily available. So I do want to save your book for last. So, are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? Yeah. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Mm. Beach Boys reminds me of my childhood. <laughs> what is one word that best describes you? Hmm. Passionate. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Mm. First by Lauren Daigle. And the last meal you want to eat? Pizza and ice cream. <laughs> Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> like anything I can't eat right now, yeah. I just want to have. <laughs> oh, who is the last person or people you want to see? My husband. And the last words you will speak. I love you. And aside from Cancer U, what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And we're definitely going to talk about your book. I would say... Uh, Chris Wark does an amazing job describing all of the options. Um, he has um, a healing cancer program. I think I think one of his modules is called Square One. If you just look up Chris. This is Chris Beats Cancer, right? Yes. Yeah. Chris, Actually, Chris okay. Beats Cancer. Yeah. So we'll he, put a link to that. Okay. Keep going. Huge fan of that guy. He did a lot of things that I I wasn't even sure I knew how to do but I appreciated the information. I appreciated 
that he really dug deep and is providing all of this information to people. One of the things that I will say is that while I was reading it and it seemed his journey was incredible, he, I think he only did surgery. He didn't do any toxic treatments and cured like a stage four cancer. I just, I read it a really long time ago and chemo brain is a real thing. We don't have to talk about that. I digress. But anyway, I just, I don't want to get the information wrong. So I just want to give that little disclosure that. Um, I believe you're right. I think, I think he had stage four colorectal cancer. Right. Okay. So, um, but I kept thinking, okay, so does this guy have all of the time and all of the money in all of the world to do what he's doing? Because most of us do not, not only do we not have the time and the money, but most of us have jobs that we are still going to, but now we're going to them with cancer or after chemo or after radiation and juggling kids and life. So it was not lost on me that, because I knew I did some of the deep dives myself, not nearly to the degree that he did. And I thought, this is a full-time job. Oh yeah. Who can do that? So obviously there was some unlimited resources there. I just, I, I like to give that disclosure because while all of it sounds great, the average bear is not going to be able to, or have the wherewithal to even do half of it. So, yeah. so you do what you can do, which is why I tried to offer some little tidbits, some little swaps that maybe people can do that would make them feel like they are going in the right direction. Well, we are trying to close that gap with Cancer U. Yeah, I remember one time someone told me, she said one thing she wished she had known. She wished someone had told her, I think it was Claritin or something, very like over-the-counter drug was helpful for these joint aches she was having or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but, and no one ever told her that. Yeah, well. And then she like heard someone talking about it you know, and, and it was like, what? And had been complaining and asking her doctor for two years, you know, is there something we can do? Is there something we can do? I thought, how specific is that? <laughs> I learned it during chemo. Um, I honestly yeah. did because um, they were prescribing it twice a day. And normally it's a once a day type of, you know, drug. And I thought, huh. And then I asked them why. And they said, because it works like an anti-inflammatory. Now I know. Thank you, Kimo. So tell us about the book. <laughs> Thanks. Yay. Uh, so tell us about the book. Super funny. Tell us why you decided to write the book. The title's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for that. I that title and I have had a rough road. So thank you for saying that. Oh, oh, wait. What do you mean? Now is the, the writer in me wants to know why. What do you mean? Okay, let me tell you. So this is <laughs> this is this is some good stuff. I loved this title because it just it kind of encapsulated everything I went through like in, in, and talk about in the book of having this lifetime default setting of kind of running half pissed off all the time and where I am now and what prompted me to change that. So I went into the self-publishing uh, mode with this book only to find out that Amazon will carry my book and sell my book, but they won't allow me to advertise because pissed is a bad word. Yes. So, what? yes. So you see titles on Amazon all the time with all the bad words. What you won't see are those books being sponsored when you're browsing because they're not allowed to use ads. So as a self-published author, having that avenue to advertise is huge. And I don't have that. 
So, oh, and I considered changing okay, the title. Something new. Yeah, I considered changing oh the title, but the title, I, me and that title, we're going down with the ship. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I love my title. <laughs> well, and I again, the writer me is like. Your title does exactly what it's supposed to do. Your title is supposed to be about the heart, grab the person's heart, and the subtitle is supposed to be about the head, telling people what the book's actually about. I think you did a fantastic job Thank doing that. Thank you so, so much. And, you know, I, I truly have been a, a writer all my life. I just, it was a dream of mine always. And kind of, if I'm being honest, this little bit of an unattainable dream. I, I wrote, I just didn't know how to get it to people. Having a family was also a dream. And one with an expiration date. So I put all of that aside. And even though I might have still written for myself throughout motherhood, I really anticipated my second act being becoming a writer, a, an actual published writer. Instead, I got cancer. <laughs> Truly, like I, my youngest daughter is 18 and moving away to college in, in a matter of weeks. So... I, I wrote this book in two months when I sat down and decided to write this book, it poured out of me in less than two months and it was published in less than five. It's wow. not the book I thought I would write, but I, I mean, I say it all the time. It's not the book I thought I would write, but there I was with all of that fresh material. And it was just what, what I had to say, I guess. And and I even talk about in the book how be careful what you wish for. You know, I, I might be a little more specific in my prayers because I, you know, prayed to realize this dream of being a published author. I didn't really pray for the vehicle I was going to use to get there. <laughs> so that's right. <laughs> so important. Yes. So important. Yeah. Um, you have to be specific with those things. <laughs> the first time your kids were young. The second time they were both teenagers, is that accurate? Um, yes. Y yes. Mm -hmm. What was that like for them? How old were they? What was that like for them? Eight and 11 and then 20 and 17. And so they handled it fairly well when they were young. And I think a lot of it might have been just innocence, cluelessness. You know, they're both um, athletes. And so they would do fun things like they would have pink ribbon stuff on their teams. And, you know, when they would wear the eye black, they would play for their survivors and things like that. This time around, my daughter, my oldest daughter was in college and her softball team pitched in and flew her home the day of my surgery. And so she was there with me. And that tells me how much it was on her mind. My younger daughter plays with a pink shoelace all the time, and she does not remove her rubber pink cancer bracelet. And just for a second, can I just say that after 10 years, I, I'm, I'm over pink. I said it. Don't, don't crucify me. I'm just, <laughs> I mean, I take a little bit of issue with the pink ribbon and honestly where it is now. I believe it started with some really altruistic you know, designs. And I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of where I see it being right now. I'm more on the page of what you are doing. If you, if you can see the difference without, without me bashing on anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but how sweet of your daughter. 
yeah. So I can tell, so all of that to say, I can tell that it's there for them. You know, we're a very close family. We do a lot of talking, mostly prompted by me, but, um, they, they know they can come to us with whatever they're feeling and going through. And so I think that has helped all of us deal. I talk about looking back on some of the pictures that we took during treatment because, you know, we had some things, we had Easter, we had some birthdays, we had, and when I look back on those pictures, I can see the stress and the worry in every feature on my husband's face. The smile doesn't reach his eyes. So I know it took its toll. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story today, and we will put a link to your book. If someone wants to get in touch with you, what would be the best way? So I have a website. And it's www.wileygirl.com. And you can message me at cwileygirl at gmail.com. I have a book page, Chemo Pissed Me Off, on Facebook. I'm the Wiley Girl on Instagram. I mean, you can find me. So I, I want to be found okay. because I, wanna, I want to help anyone that I can. This is just, it's like I said, it's the club no one wants to be in. But when you're in it, you're in it. All right. We will put links to all of that. So. Well, I appreciate that. And I just thank you so much for having me and just taking time out and talking to me. I, I feel very grateful for that. Oh, gosh. You are welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories, 